We're recording on Gadigal land and we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and pay our respects to their culture and elders. I'm Karina May. And I'm Claire Fletcher. And we love rom-coms. They're our favourite kind of love stories. We love reading and watching rom-coms so much we started writing our own. And we're always chasing that rom-com feeling. You know the one. The warm and fuzzy one. We might not be experts, but by God, we're enthusiastic. And I feel like we're a bit rusty today. I know, that was rough. <laughs> I, Karina, I, <laughs> speak in the third person. <laughs> Me, Claire Fletcher. <laughs> Me, Claire Fletcher. I'm still a bit jet lagged, so that's my excuse. I don't know what yours is, yeah, Claire. Yeah, I don't have one. Busy fangirling over one Caroline O'Donoghue. Oh my God, Karina. I mean, you know. You know how hopped up I got about that. I was in a tizzy. So do you want to talk our listeners through um, that event that you attended while I was in Caroline's home country and she was in mine, (laughs) which the whole point was for me to chase my favourite authors around their home cities. Um, I've followed Caroline for a long time. I've loved her podcast, Sentimental Garbage, and I think it honestly helped me work through a lot of the cringiness I used to feel around these rom-coms. Loving rom-coms. that we love. Yeah. So if you are, you haven't listened to Sentimental Garbage yet. And Sentimental in the City, which is the six, I think it's six episode special with Dolly Alderton about sex in the city, uh, which... I think everyone, well, it blew up during lockdowns. Mm. Yeah, so the premise of the podcast is it's about the culture that we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. And I think it started out talking about very specifically chick lit and books, but over time it's really broadened its remit and so they talk a lot about different types of culture, they've been doing films, music, fashion things, all kinds of stuff. And I heard her say on a podcast recently because... As I wasn't in attendance, I have been <laughs> scouring the internet for any any piece of media related to Caroline um, that she was told early on in her career or studies that she might have a future in academia. So that makes sense that she's applied that talent to pop culture because um, she does approach it at a very as a, a very um, kind of yeah academia perspective. She brings a really great mind to these things but I think yeah listening to that podcast as well as starting to read more uh, women's fiction and commercial fiction totally changed the way that I thought about these kind of stories and took me from it being something that maybe I read as a guilty pleasure to something that I'm really proud of and happy to advocate for which is kind of why we're here. And the event that you're we're referring to was um, hosted by Roaring Stories and they have actually posted the link to the Facebook event or on Facebook, sorry. So I plan on watching that. So I guess we'll pop that in the show notes as well. Yeah, I guess the other thing to note if you're interested in a conversation like that is that Caroline did an interview with Bridie Jabour. Bridie did the events with Caroline in Sydney and then they also recorded a conversation for Bridie and Bree Lee's podcast called Cool Story. Which, which we're both obsessed with. So obsessed with. So I was fangirling over Bridie as well at um, the event earlier this week. I think especially because I just love the way she talks about parenting in that podcast. It's a kind of tone that I don't I don't know that I've heard anyone else talk about her their kids the way that she talks about hers and I think it's very refreshing, dare I say, revolutionary. Um, and it gives me life. So I made sure to tell her that. 
um, oh, earlier this week. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So you were busy fangirling everyone while I was not here. Yeah, I was really fangirling. I mean, I think there was a point in the conversation uh, and I was there with friend of the pod, Josh Hortonella, <laughs> um, came along with me and Caroline said this thing and Josh looked at me and I was like, don't worry, I'm writing it down. I'm going to quote my notes. Oh, yay, yay. I haven't heard this. So Bridie had asked why Caroline – she had noticed that Caroline always includes sex scenes in her stories and she sort of said, you know, why is that important to you? And Caroline said, if you don't know how your character feels about food, their mother and sex, you don't have a main character. Oh, my gosh, I love that. Yeah, three things, beautiful. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think that's a real keeper. mm I mean, the thing that I was interested to ask her about, and again, I'm not usually this person, but I thought about it ahead of time so that I could be this person and I asked the first question in the Q&A. They would have loved you. It's always hard to get that crowd started with questions. Yeah. And so I was really curious about, and I think about this a lot, the kind of div- the two parts of being an author is kind of the writing life and the author life. I think it's Danuka McKenzie I've seen write or talk about this really articulately. So I'm probably ripping her off a bit. But I wanted to ask Caroline, you know, how do you balance the public-facing side or these conversations about, you know, pop culture that you are having as part of the podcast and this sort of public-facing author life with, you know, needing to withdraw to write? And she answered it really thoughtfully and I think she doesn't need to withdraw to write because what she was saying was that, you know, the conversations that she's having on Sentimental Garbage actually completely feed the work that she's doing as a novelist. So she pointed to the Rachel incident, her latest novel, and talked about how one of the key themes of that story or what it's really preoccupied with is this idea of shame and this sort of shame that Rachel, the main character, carries um, and also the way that the book is structured as Rachel as an older woman looking back on the Rachel of her early 20s. Um, Yeah, really sort of links back to a lot of the conversations that she'd had on the podcast about you know, elements of culture that we were kind of made to feel ashamed of. It's really brilliant. So all of her art kind of feeds each other because I've even heard her um, talk about, you know, there's lines that have come directly from the podcast that are in the book or vice versa where where did it exist first so it just existed. Yeah, and I think she the way she said it was that it bleeds through. And bleeds, I think, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and so I think what she meant was that she's having conversations for the podcast and sometimes things are occurring to her there for the first time but I guess it kind of gets those wheels turning Mm. that turns into stories. That might be a good segue for me because I find that with travel which is uh, yes I mean friends of the pod would know that I was away (laughs) Uh, to New York to London to basically everywhere and the overall sense that I had while traveling was I felt like myself again, which is very lush kind of thing to think that I've got to take myself off away from everything for weeks and um, also acknowledge the privilege of that, not having kids and having the means to do that. But it's where I definitely feel the most inspired. So I wrote probably a total of 500 words while I was away, but my notes in my phone, um, I was saying to you, Claire, probably could make a novel and it's probably nonsense but that's definitely how the world the real world feeds my craft and my writing from eavesdropping when I'm sitting you know in bars because 
people living, you know, in a different place to where you live have different things to say, different perspectives. Like everything is different. You just observational. It's just it's switched on in a way um, that I struggle to kind of get in my everyday life. Is it also the mindset of being in a different place that, you know, you're you're observing more because you're not in your comfort zone? Well. Partially that because you don't have Wi-Fi unless you're paying for a data plan. (laughs) So my, if my nose is in my phone, it's because I'm writing some type of thought I've had um, rather than inputting so much content while I'm here. Yeah, I think it's partly that. I guess you have a bit more of the yes mentality as well because you don't have the pressure. You know, I was doing some work. I couldn't work remotely, so I was doing little bits here and there. But there's no washing. There's no, you know, you can actually be more flexible. Um... And I probably need to get out of the habit of needing or feeling the need to do that, particularly in the last few years. Um, it's something that I felt was really lacking and I felt my creativity kind of drying up because I couldn't travel in the same way that I used to. They're very linked for you, aren't they? It's so linked, yeah. I've got to probably do some more exploring around that. But, um, I mean, the ideas, I probably have ideas now, you know, for the next couple of books. So <laughs> I'm right for a while. I think there is something in movement when you're stuck creatively and while international travel is the de- the ideal. <laughs> that's so lush. Um, I recognise that. I think, you know, if that's not accessible to you, you can try things like, I mean, I find I always have, if I am taking the train, for example, or on a bus, listen to music instead of a podcast so that your mind is kind of more free to wander. And I think you can kind of almost channel that mm. that feeling of being on a trip I always feel like I'm the main character in a movie or something when I'm listening to music, looking out a train window. But, you know, going for a walk. I feel Working in a new cafe, just changing up your scenery. And they're all tricks that I do use, but it doesn't hit the same (laughs) for me. And it's almost like story starts to create itself around me. So listeners of the pod will know that I was on a bit of a rom-com trail (laughs) as well. So uh, I intended of starting at the Empire State Building um, for my sleepless in Seattle moment, but the weather had other plans. It was pouring with rain the whole time in New York. So I actually didn't even get to step foot on a rooftop. Uh, I was still (laughs) able to romanticise the city, but the real rom-com trail started when I hit uh, the UK and went to Notting Hill, uh, took a picture with the wrong door for people that follow me on social media. I think there were a lot of wrong doors. There's a lot of wrong blue doors, yeah, Um, and visited the, the bookshop, went to the Cotswolds and... When we visited the pub in Surrey, which is in the holiday, um, where Cameron Diaz and Jude Law go on their first date, um, a guy had a heart attack. (laughs) So I'm laughing because he's fine. But things like that happened all throughout my trip where it felt like wherever I was going to be inspired, there was another story there that was different from the story I, I had intended when I went there. So... I'm probably not explaining this very well, but we were sat in Cameron Diaz's and Jude Law's seat and a guy kind of stumbled in. He had just dropped his wife off at the airport and had heard that nearby to where he was dropping his wife was the the pub um, that started on the holiday. I already thought that was the cutest thing. But yeah, he stumbled in saying that he you know, had pains in his chest and was short of breath and he had a dog with him. And we we're talking to him for quite a while um, while we were waiting for the paramedics to come and yeah, he was sharing just kind of so much about his life and yeah, like the stretcher got wheeled in and 
we really didn't get to pay attention much to the pub and where we were because this incident was kind of happening. And then, yeah, the next morning we called the pub just to find out how he was and everything was fine. His car had been picked up, all that sort of thing. But, and I'm not going to go into details of the conversations that we had, but it, it just one of those, those moments where you can't predict where the story is going to take you because I thought I was there for one reason and then this kind of, this whole scene started opening up around me, which I then also thought, you get told a lot that, you know, things are ridiculous in plot and that would never happen. And this was a movie moment. Like the way he stumbled in, the, like the whole thing played out. Even with the dog, we thought at one point we were taking the dog home with us. Like it was, <laughs> it was full on. <laughs> It's a much shorter journey than your one around the world, but there was another um, small migration I wanted to talk about, which was that I came home from a trip to Melbourne and saw on my husband's bedside table duck a l'orange for breakfast. Oh, you're so cute. And Dave had, uh, and I, you know, we talk very highly of you at home and you've met Dave, but uh, I did not steer him to read this next. He picked it up of his own accord. He smashed it out in a couple of days. He was giggling in bed. Oh, that's so sweet. And I ju- it made me really happy. I mean, occasionally my friends will send me, um, you know, photos of their partners reading my books. I have um, a friend's husband, Andrew, uh, is... I would like to say one of my bigger fans and he always sends me a message when he's read the new book. He likes to listen to them as audiobooks on the tractor uh, and he sent me a quote which I'd like to use as an endorsement going forward about how uh, Love Match kept him glued to the tractor seat. He didn't oh. want his shift to end. Oh my God, isn't that perfectly on brand? But I think it's a really good point that, you know, we think of these books so much as women's fiction or books for women but they're really... If a man took the trouble to pick one up, there's a mm. lot there for them too. Like these are just human stories. Uh, so I'm all for more men picking up rom-coms and I'm all for the bedside table migration, which I hope continues to happen and happens more. But um, yeah. Dave, Did you coin that terminology or is that a thing? Bedside migration, bedside table migration. I love that. I'm pretty sh- Well, I think I made it up. I don't know. Mm. I've definitely used that. But, um, yeah, Dave loved your book and it made me really happy. (laughs) So sweet. So our trope of the day. This has been much anticipated, this one, I think. Only because it's one of the major ones, I guess, that we haven't done. We skipped it. (laughs) We prioritised meat cutes. Oh, you know, just keeping it interesting. Uh, Friends to lovers. We haven't uh, Googled a definition of this one because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It is. That's what's great about it, isn't it? I think I've gone on mic to say friends to lovers and second chance romance are probably um, down there with my less than favourite tropes. But I will say I've read a few recently that I loved and now I think it's underrated. What do you think, Yeah, I think like any trope, there's there's uh, people that really nail it and there's some that are less satisfying. I guess one of the challenges with a friends to lovers story is sometimes it feels so inevitable, the obstacles that the author is trying to put between the couple are a little hard to buy. Mm. Like if you cared enough, just get over it, right? right? <laughs> It's tough though because it is. I think it is a very real fear 
you know, when the friendship is really important. I do enjoy that not wanting to risk what we have because what we have is so beautiful. So straight away, you know, like this is the connection that they have is something to be cherished because they couldn't possibly risk it, exactly. which is very powerful. Yep. And I've dabbled in that. I, I did a bit of that in Love Match. But, yeah, I think, you know, and often too, I guess these are often stories where the supporting characters are really good because you often get that everyone can see it but them, that they're mm. perfect for each other. That's why best. I mean, I think we're going to talk about <laughs> I hope so. characters, side characters um, later in the show. But I think they're a great tool as well, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> To, yeah, these conversations um, with these revelations about how they're really feeling um, and, yeah, helping the protagonists kind of uncover how they're actually feeling through, yeah, conversations that they're having with them. Right. There's a lot of self-deception or, mm. or trying to, you know, characters trying to talk themselves out of mm. feelings for their friend and then you get to, I guess, ref- have it reflected back to them through their friend's perceptions. Mm. I think... That's why the only obstacle I can believe is that our friendship is too important. Any other obstacle, I tend not to believe. Like, if there's another reason why, uh, and I'm, I can't even think now, like, what doesn't work for me, but there's definitely examples that I've I've seen where it's really just not about not wanting to ruin the friendship. Mm. I think, I mean, one which... Miscommunication miscommuni- comes up. Yeah, miscommunication. And again, can be very frustrating. Yeah, or not wanting to ruin the friendship group dynamics, which I know Happy Place is more second chance romance because they were lovers for most of the time that they mm. knew each other. But, yeah, that it is founded in yeah. very real concern for the broader group. Yeah, and who cares about them is what I feel. <laughs> I mean, I guess a very common obstacle is that one of the friends has another partner. That of comes course. up a bit. Of course. <laughs> I don't like that either. And then, you know, a lot of it can come down to timing. It's like, oh, you know someone's with someone else at this time and then oh they might but that's miscommunication as well because you think oh their their light has been switched off now when mine has been switched on and then they're just the alternating light theory yeah the alternating switching of lights and it's like just ask them this is the miscommunication (laughs) yeah so do we have some examples do we have some examples (laughs) i really wanted to rewatch um when harry met sally which i think is one of the classic texts of this trope but what is the deli that they go to in new york it's not cat's deli yeah it's cats oh my god okay well i went there (laughs) i'll put it on instagram just to prove i actually will have to do i think some posting from my trip just to show people all my little (laughs) rom-com landmarks and i forgot that was one why didn't i go and reenact that because everyone does Also, solo reenactment. <laughs> right, it's a little bit awkward uh, faking an orgasm on your own, isn't it? Yeah, and I really wanted to revisit that because I, I've only watched it once before and remember just absolutely bloody loving it. Mm. But it's on the one streaming platform that I don't currently pay for and I just could not bring oh, myself to. What's that to one? It. I can give you my login. Hmm. Prime. We can Prime. do that off air. <laughs> well, everyone listens. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think both of us have read some new and forthcoming books recently that would fit into this trope. Yeah, I mean, we both recently read Love Just In, which is a debut that's coming out uh, in January by Natalie Murray. I'm going to speak about that book a bit later as well, just for my recommendation. But in a nutshell, that is two besties that kind of have 
fallen out of friendship for a couple of years and then come back into each other's lives when the protagonist moves to Newcastle for a job um, to where her bestie has been living and working as a paramedic. And that was such a strong part of that story, I thought, was the career arcs. The, and they both had strong careers. Yep. I thought that was done so well. It was I'm, done really well. I loved this book. I loved, um, I could see the connection straight away through the dialogue. The banter was top notch. Um, and Natalie just has a way of writing emotion um, in such a unique, descriptive way that I definitely was like, come on, get together already, which well, I think is what you want, that angst. So as long as you get the build-up paying off, the love apart happens. Right. <laughs> and so that was what I was going to say. She's good at writing emotion. You know, what she's even better at writing is yeah. chemistry. chemistry. And it's a, you know, it's a pretty chunky book. It's quite long and it's a bit of a slow build but the payoff is there, let me tell you, holy smokes, she I can think, write some some spice. I think um, we had spoken about, because she had told me that there was quite a few spicy scenes I in I think you book. told me it was 30 pages no, and I was like, oh, my no, God, well, she, this is going to be <laughs> She has another um, series. It's like a Tudor series. Um, well, it's an om- omnibus. Is that what you say? It is, it was, <laughs> isn't that what it's called? Don't laugh at me. <laughs> no. I just haven't thought about the word omnibus for a while, but. Yes. No, you know. So she it. has a YA series that was published in the US, I think, initially. And then I think she got her rights back to self publish it as an adult book and added some more spice scenes and rolled those YAs into an omnibus. Um, and that's the one that I think has the 25 pages of oh. spice. But if you counted the spice in this, because there was quite a few spicy scenes, it definitely equaled that or more. And that's why it's on par with, um, I think it's going to be a hit on Book Talk because you get the sweet to sexy payoff. And I was saying to Claire off mic that, yeah, I mean, the books that I've read recently that are friends to lovers are starting to kind of turn change my mind about the trope you're going to be converted yeah because I do get it when the moment happens and the build-up has been there (sighs) it is unlike like it's unlike enemies to lovers it's it's a very different feeling enemies to lovers is like the smash the faces together when they Mm. can't fight it anymore but friends to lovers is Mm. like there's and there's always a few like almost but not quite I like this as well because the obstacles, there were quite a few obstacles over Mm. time Um, and, yeah, that's because they almost get together and the career comes up quite a bit, which that felt really realistic to me because, you know, I think that is probably a common obstacle where people live, what they do, how that fits. Um, Does Natalie have a background in newsreading? Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, I was going to say it felt very real, all of the newsroom um, and and the reporting scenes. And you can tell when someone has that level of, like, it hasn't been research that's been lived. So, yeah, there was no point where I was taken out of the story. Um, I mean, this was also my recommendation, so <laughs> we'll get, I'll, I'll get back to... Sorry, I, I, I led you... No, I mean, we, we were both raving about this book, so I'm yeah. happy to obviously spend some time on it. But, Claire, have you read anything recently? I think you have. I have. And again, I think this might come up again later, but um, I've just read the third book in Jodie McAllister's Marry Me, Juliet trilogy, which I have loved every step of the way. And so it is no small thing when I say that the third book, Not Here to Make Friends, is the best. The best. I read all three. I think listeners might remember saying that I was going to be the first, Jodie told me, to read all three in a row. And I binged them on my trip. 
And I agree. I The third book, I mean, I love book one, book two, the third book. Best friends to lovers I've read. I'll say, I'll say it on mic. That's how I felt. And I don't know if it was because I also had the context of them being background characters. Um, it, Lily and Murray, who are the, the main characters in the third book, in, in the first two books that made me feel... I was so already so curious about yeah. their relationship. Because they're both, they're both only like small parts. Lily is the villain of the reality TV show where all these books are set. And so, you know, you get the sense that she's pulling strings and yeah. she's, you know, being very strategic about the ways that she's messing with the other characters. But, yeah, we had no idea what was motivating well, her. Well, I think maybe because they were kind of caricatures and to then it felt so great to, to learn all the nuances of their character as well. But I will say then that also came with so much expectation because I was expecting big things and that and it delivered. <laughs> oh, same. My expectations were sky high and they were blown. And I will say maybe this didn't have like as as long and intricate um, sex scenes, but the chemistry, again, so mm. good. Mm. And also made me laugh out loud at points. Oh, yeah. It was fabulous. Uh, so that book comes out in January. Um, and, I mean, we'll be talking about that up until the release, I'm pretty sure. But I think you read another advanced reader of one of the perks of the job. I know. I actually had a, a bunch of early books to read recently. And another one I had been I had been looking forward to this book. I think I read the press release. I remember you telling me about this book when they months ago. did the deal, which was at least a year ago. Um, so it's written by James Colley, who is a comedy writer for TV. He also does quite a few columns and, and newspaper writing. I definitely was aware of him because he's a big Penrith Panthers fan. That's how you knew him? Well... Are you a Panthers fan? What? I'm so what? confused. Yes. Are you? Well, I mean, they're my team. I've, I, have a, I have a hard time with it lately because they're so dominant and I'm an underdog supporter, so I've kind of backed off a little bit. This is the first time I'm hearing this. We don't talk about rugby league we together don't. a lot, Karina. That's I not my fault. Um, it's obviously an interest area for me. really didn't think you would care. <laughs> Anyway. I, I used to I used to support South Sydney Rabbitohs because my year two teacher did, and um, I bought a money box, so um, <laughs> we got. <laughs> Was this in like the Fletch era? I didn't know any character names. Characters, <laughs> players, come on! Oh my god! I didn't even do that on. That purpose. was amazing, Josh. You can't cut that out. That's brilliant. Any other like movies? I have One Day on the list, which is a, a book that was really special to me. Oh, yeah, you've brought that up on the pod before, I think. Yeah, and I might have. read it at a different time and it hit different. Right. My, I think we talked about that already. Um, I, the movie, to me, is nowhere near as strong as the book. but it is, As is often the case. Yes. And, you know, Anne Hathaway should never be allowed to play British people, uh, just saying. <laughs> Not like Keira Knightley. <laughs> I do really love the movie that I think is called What If, but it's it's um, in some territories I think it's called the F word, which is the Harry Potter. What's his face? Dan- Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe. And <laughs> oh my god, and I love when I'm like I'm excelling over you with names because normally it's the other way around. And Zoe Kazan, who I think has come up in a few movies that we've mentioned recently, but yeah, the premise is that she's he, Ruby Sparks, right? She's Ruby yeah, Sparks. Yeah, yeah. She's in the Big Sick as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've definitely covered her, yeah. And I don't know where this fits in his career. God, he's made some interesting movies. 
Mm, and stage, like <laughs> stage choices. Did you ever see Swiss Army Man? I didn't. Is that where he's naked? He's he's literally a dead body. Oh, uh, no. That, oh, I can't even explain it. He's like... Uh, <laughs> Is this him rebelling against his typecasting of Harry Potter? Well, I mean... He's literally like a farting corpse that this guy like <laughs> rides what? like a dolphin through the ocean. What? <laughs> Is that <laughs> that sentence? I don't even know where to start to comprehend that. And it's sort of a comedy, but it's also really moving. Oh my god! You just that movie is impossible to explain. Yeah. Um, what if I remember finding that on Netflix and just being like, "How have I not seen this before?" So I don't think it ever really, it never really hit big time, which is confusing. It never really did. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, so he meets uh, Zoe Kazan's character. They hit it off perfectly. It's like the start of a rom-com uh, and then it turns out that she has a boyfriend. So, again, they're maintaining the friendship. He is very much in love with her. Does she love him back? I don't know. It's another one where there's really good supporting friend characters. It was an early role for Adam Driver, who I bloody love. Um, girls. Girls. And many other things. Yeah, I think he's done a lot of things now. Did you ever see the movie where he's like a bus driver that writes poetry? Oh, my God. No, what's that? I think that? it's called Patterson. No. Oh. So you're, I mean, we're getting feedback a lot about us adding to TBR lists of everyone. Yeah, sorry, I'm just You're doing it to me out. as well. I'm like, oh, another thing. It's amazing. It's not a rom-com. Mm. It's a very sort of quiet, beautiful movie. My husband's also like a very hot bus driver. So <laughs> that movie really hit home for me. But yes, I do really recommend What If as a friends to lovers romance. I will revisit that for sure. So for now and then, I thought it would be fun to look at one of my favourite elements of a rom-com often, which is the friend characters. The quirky best friends. Quirky best friends. I try not to write that and then they always make their way into every single time. It's tough because those friendships are such a great way to shine a light on your main character. Mm. Although actually my current work in progress, I'm trying to write an asshole best friend to make my main character look better (laughs) yeah which I've not done that before I think just because I've done kind of two quirky side characters and more than just best friends but a few kind of quirkier side characters I don't know why it wasn't a conscious decision but yeah I've gone down that route (laughs) this time oh that's interesting yeah but then you have the problem where the main character maybe is looking a bit like a wet blanket because it's like, why are you keeping this asshole around? <laughs> Whereas quirky, we know why you're keeping them. They're entertaining. They keep things light. The whole reason we're writing them in. Wow. See, I have I always have the opposite problem where I, <laughs> I write really annoying main characters and I always end up enjoying the friend characters more. No, well, this is the issue. I think I'm writing an annoying main character, so I'm making the best friend even worse that we like <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> this might need a rewrite. <laughs> might need to relook at that. Oh, that's so fun. Well, when I think of quirky best friends, like there are a few actresses that I think, you know, really got stuck into these roles. So I think of Judy Greer, obviously. Oh, they're like noughties. I mean, dominated. Did Joan Cusack do a few or do I just conflate No, her? no, I think she did, yeah. I mean, if I can Google fast enough, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, Nora Ephron always has really fantastic friend characters. So, of course, there's Carrie Fisher in 
When Harry Met Sally. And I feel like Rita Wilson. Oh, yeah. Sleepless in Seattle. He's fantastic. Do you think that's where she and Tom Hanks got together? We could probably find out, but that seems plausible. Yeah. I think I prefer the fan fiction in my head mm. than actually Googling that one. And Catherine Hahn, did you say her? I didn't say her, yeah. but yeah, I think she played a lot of those roles. And I think it's really cool now to see that she's playing much more like main characters now. That was the thing, because it's like, I don't want to say doing your time in the trenches um, and then graduate, but I do feel like not only just for those actresses to be typecast, but it was movie after movie in the noughties where it's like there's that best friend character again, there she is. And so it's nice to kind of see them graduate to kind of main character energy. Oh, definitely. But I think it's also that I think we accept or even expect more complexity or darkness or messiness in a main character now. When you think about the leads of all those rom-coms in the 2000s especially, like it was always That's a blonde. such a good point. You're very smart. <laughs> of course. And so now it's like, of course, a main character can have these quirks. They can have these same moments that before only the best friend could have mm. because their life was chaos. It's interesting though. I mean, I guess I've, in my books... So, and I always really enjoy writing with friends. So in Five Bush Weddings, Stevie's friend, Jen, um, and then in Love Match, Jacinta, who is my favourite character in that book. Um, yeah, she's great. They get good jokes and they're often the place where I'm looking to lift the humour of the piece. But at the end of the day, they're kind of the voice of reason for my dumb main characters and the stupid things that they do. So they're not really quirky best friends so much as, yeah, the voice of reason. What about you? Tell us, tell us about some of your friends. Never Ever Forever. The main character, Rosie, has two best friends, Ange and Penny, and I would say that Penny um, more plays into that stereotype quirky best friend, but she's definitely there to help bring out the themes as well of the book. Mm -hmm. um, that book is about kind of letting go of your past and not letting it dictate your future, and Penny is kind of the reminder of the past. Like, she has been friends with her... Um, since high school and knows her intimately I think that's the other thing as well like it's kind of like battling with your own conscience because your friends are holding a mirror up to like you know the protagonists and know all of the little things all those minute things that the love interest or newer characters in the story are only just learning up and will call out the main character if they're lying to themselves but yeah so Penny she definitely brings a lot of fun and comedic humor to the story as well. Yeah, I loved her. Did you? Yeah. We've got a. I've got a friend, Penny, and um, she's an editor, friend of the pod, and she she edited that story in its early stage. And she's like, "Why is she called Penny?" And I thought about changing it so many times. So in the acknowledgments, I've ended up just writing, "I couldn't change it. It's not you. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not the Penny that I know." But um, uh, yeah, there's something. A little nod to friendships, right? It's so hard when you get attached to a name, right? Because I've just been outlining a new story and I've weirdly like got quite into the mother of a character and I really want to call her Cheryl. She's kind of like a bogan. And then I realised that it means her name is Cheryl Cooper, who is, of course, a character in Riverdale. Oh, that's <laughs> so So I funny. can't have her be Cheryl and now I'm so attached to that being her name. It's really annoying. Funny that you say that because the book I'm writing now, I had Andy Anderson because I love my alliteration and that's the main character oh, in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Come so on. So at the moment the working name is Andy Alcott. 
nice segue because I was going to ask you what your favorite, who your favorite best friend is in those naughties rom coms, and I was going to say Catherine Hahn's character in um, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Hmm. <laughs> I remember she was she was super quirky um, because she even plays the role of like therapist at one point. It's um, <laughs> one of the steps of trying to lose Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> um, yeah, do you have a favourite? That's maybe putting you on the spot. Oh, that is putting me yeah. on the spot. I mean, yeah, I mean, I really love in the the Daniel Radcliffe movie. Yeah, it ends up that the the main characters each have a friend who end up hooking up. And that's almost what keeps pulling them back oh, together yeah. a bit. It's the Adam Driver character and um, Mackenzie Davis, who's my Sarah in my head. Yeah, so they, like, fall for each other at the start and fall completely in love. So, again, it sets up that contrast to the main couple. Yeah, and they also get their satisfying kind of ending. Yeah. More um, than just a side piece. Which, that's actually, I think a side piece means something Side piece <laughs> does mean something else. <laughs> I think the one... One last thing to say about the best friend characters is that I think most writers now are much more conscious of diversity in their stories and I think um, friend characters are often a really great way to show some diversity in the broader cast of your story. I think, you know, we're probably hesitant to write characters, main characters, that we don't have lived experience of, you know, where they're coming from. But I think with the right research and consultation, you can use smaller characters or supporting characters to really yeah bring in more inclusivity shelf love well another book that i read recently is another forthcoming release i think by the time this podcast is out you won't have to wait much longer i think it's actually released the same day as never ever forever i think we're shelfie buddies i know and both pan mac authors as well so Ah. looking forward to this one so the book i want to talk about is called love and other scores by abra pressler it's a queer sports romance wonder why why it's captured your heart wonder why they (laughs) thought of me to send that to i loved this book I would probably call it a little more romance than rom-com, but it, it had some humour, it had some light laughs. Um, well, I follow her on Instagram and she's quite funny. She's so good. I can see, like, the humour. Because yeah. you can never quite detach the author from the text. I mean, you, I feel like you have to be funny. Exactly. I mean, I think the hook of this book had me immediately. So it's That's a, always a good thing. It's about, as you may have guessed from the title, it's about a tennis player called Gabriel he's a French tennis player and he's in Australia for the Australian Open in Melbourne and he is gay but he's not out and he meets Noah at a bar in Melbourne and they hit it off (laughs) (laughs) and I don't know it's kind of it's sort of that's that simple almost I mean there are very good reasons why they can't be together or can't be openly together but they've got incredible chemistry. Is it forbidden love? It is a little bit forbidden love. It's sort of more, it's more about being seen together. It's kind of this thing like, can it just be a fun little thing that we have and then we'll leave it because it's very hard for them, I guess, to imagine a future together when Noah is a guy that works in a bar in Melbourne and Gabrielle is the guy that's going to keep jetting around to playing tennis tournaments around the world. It doesn't seem like there's much of a future, but... Without some sacrifices. Right. Yeah. 
And I mean, I hope I'm not spoiling the plot by saying that. I mean, I think so much of the pleasure of these stories is just in how they unfold. The journey, the not journey. The, the voice is always really strong for me. I mean, I think I've realised that's what I read for. Is I like to hear a fresh voice. I like to. I like to have a writer that I feel like they're confidently carrying me along in the story. I like to be surprised by bits of description. I like. I like to be able to visualise what's happening. And so this book, like, it's very Melbourne, but at the same time it feels like it could be a global sensation. <laughs> like, Oh, yay. I it feel sounds like, like it, it's going to be a good book talk book as well. Well, I, I can definitely see that. I think it would. I would say that it's, you know, an obvious reference point is Red, White and Loyal Blue, both in the tone, which is really, you know, that kind of joyful queer love story as well as... You know, there's a lot of fun and hijinks along the way. Um, hijinks. <laughs> and probably a similar spice level as well. So, you know, this does have um, a little bit of explicit scenes, which were great. Um, but and we know how hard that is to write. <laughs> I think this is another book that does inclusion in a really thoughtful way that didn't feel forced so I was really struck even just by a small scene where you know Gabriel's on the tour and there's a scene where he's just talking in passing with another player and they're signing in ASL this other character oh that's so cool and they don't labor the point at all yeah it's just it's just there it's It's their reality that's you know and they don't think about it but you know it is still a thing where you know I don't think there are any male tennis players on the tour that are out so you know this is sort of a story about imagining what it would be like mm. if a player was trying to decide whether to come out um, and I think Abra handles it really beautifully I can't wait to read that love this book I wanted to quickly touch back on Love Just In which we spoke about at the beginning of the show um, so Natalie Murray's debut that's coming out well rom-com debut well <laughs> debut <laughs> non-tutor debut no well she so natalie also co-writes um with oh, the that's US right author. hating the best man yeah and loving the best man and loving the worst man the Ooh. best titles so i still have to read those especially if there's as much spice as is in these these books but yeah the story centers around josie who's always kind of single um and she has uh she's a tv anchor or TV presenter. I'm not sure the terminology. Sorry, Natalie. <laughs> television <laughs> journalist. Te- television journalist yep. um, who has a panic uh, attack on live TV and kind of as punishment, she's shipped off um, from Sydney to Newcastle to cover a reporter's uh, leave for six months. Um, kind of, you know, the regional <laughs> TV. Uh, this is not my perception. This is the story. <laughs> but yeah, in Newcastle is this best friend who we spoke about, Zach, um, who was her best friend all throughout high school and Zach had a pretty traumatic event happen in his life and from that event he and Josie haven't really spoken for the past couple of years. So they're kind of thrown back into each other's lives and they have to navigate, yeah, a lot of career stuff. They're, they're both going through some kind of career things. It's obviously got the beautiful backdrop and setting of Newcastle. So that's a place that I've been to quite a lot. I've got a few friends there. So I really enjoy the comfort read of knowing the setting and the place really intimately. And it definitely has an Emily Henry vibe. I know it's been marketed as that and that's 
kind of, you know, some right. big Right, you shoes. only have to look at that cover and, like, yeah, the fonts the they've chosen. Yeah, the cover is stunning. The cover is great. Um, but I think in terms of the banter and the emotional response and obviously, like, the sexy payoff, I do think that it stacks up. Um, and then it's got the bonus of the Australian setting. So I think this book is going to go places and I'm excited for its its release in January so everybody can have a read. Um, so, yeah, hilarious and heartwarming and sexy. <laughs> <laughs> we want Natalie to host um, sex writing classes for us so we can learn from her. <laughs> I would 100% pay for that. I would do. So, Natalie, if you're listening, get on that. <laughs> Perfect pairing. <laughs> you can tell I just had a large gulp of water. It was like I was under the sea saying that. <laughs> Surfacing. Uh, perfect pairing this episode. Uh, again, you know, you've heard us talk about these books before, but we think if you enjoy reality TV shows like The Bachelor, you are going to love Jodie McAllister's books. The Marry Me series, which we cannot rave enough about. We cannot rave enough about these books. Uh, I don't know if you want to hear us talk about it more, but essentially just love them. So uh, the third book in the series is released in January. So this is a really good time to get started. And these are great holiday reads. If you're going on a trip this summer... And I can attest, this is exactly how I read them. This is how Karina did it. And I'm a huge Batchy fan. So I think when you have these expectations, because you know, like I, Bachelor is actually my heartbreak show because there's some um, hope, a tiny little bit, but a lot of heartbreak. So it's good for wallowing, but then you have the little glimmer of maybe there could still be hope and love out there for me. And it's so addictive and binge worthy that to create a book... <laughs> that has exactly the same feeling as when I'm binging the TV show with the added nuance of actually caring about these characters. <sighs> Honestly, it's it, it's comparable to uh, the very best season of The Golden Bachelor times a thousand. I don't know. It's, it's better than watching The Bachelor. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm not a reality TV I watcher am. at all. I am. So I'm telling you. Whoa. And I guess I suppose if any of our listeners, you know, that's not their favourite, I can tell you, you can still really enjoy these books, mm. even without having that element of knowledge. Uh, so start with the first book in the series, which is Here for the Right Reasons. All uh, great titles, because if you're a Bachelor fan, you will hear these lines said over and over. Yeah. Jodie, I mean, Jodie just gets it. I mean, she's literally an academic expert in reality dating shows and, you know, stories about romance. So she knows what she's doing. And I think she thinks really deeply about culture and about how shows like this speak to what we feel as a culture about love and relationships and uh, as the series progresses, you see more of, I think, her thoughts on reality television and how it is and isn't giving Australian audiences the diversity that we deserve. I mean, the commentary is amazing and it's not laboured. It's, it's, it's just woven in and 
over the three books, it's just slowly, yeah, it, you get a deeper understanding of what the messaging of these books are. It's absolutely seamless. So in the first story, you see the man, Dylan, who's the lead of the show. Dylan squared. <laughs> develops a romance with Cece, who's actually eliminated on the very first night of the competition. Uh, in the second book, you have a delicious sapphic romance between two of the female contestants on the show, one of whom is also called Dylan. Uh, Dylan and Mandy, and I didn't think any anything could top that for me. I really loved that book, and then I read the third book in the series, Not Here to Make Friends, which follows Murray, the producer on the show, and Lily Fireball, the villain. And when Murray sees it, Lily's auditioned for the show. He is absolutely thrown, and Murray's always in control, so straight away you know something is wrong. And the book, it really beautifully sets up that there's history between these characters how is it going to play out on the show and it's just delicious so as the series goes along it kind of deepens in complexity and so by the time you finish with the third book it's all about the strategy and you know building the narratives of the game Murray and Lily are both experts at that and as you come to understand their history and the the friendship that they've had in the past Oh, it makes so much sense. But oh, I loved it. Oh. I loved it so, so much. Jodie, if you're listening, legit loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to quickly mention um, my name twin. So uh, there's an author, Kanina May, yeah, so very is. similar to my name. Um, she's got two books out. Um, her first one, her debut was called The One. Uh, it came out in 2019 and it's a book that's very special to me. I read it in a particularly hard time in my life. Um, but it is also set um, on a Bachelor-type um, show called The One. It's also a fab read. And again, as a Bachelor fan, I felt like it was a really realistic portrayal um, of what goes on behind the scenes in, in those shows. So I would also recommend looking out for that one um, by my name twin, Kanina May. <laughs> we've had so much to catch up on today. I feel like we've been talking solidly for... Many hours, some of which were recorded and some were not. <laughs> and I think it will spill into next fortnight show <laughs> in our next show. And hopefully you won't be jet lagged no. and hopefully my brain will be functioning better as well. And I've been sitting here thinking the whole time that I've potentially left my stove top on, which is the things that you think when you're jet lagged <laughs> because they're things that you could have potentially have done. But we will link all the books and movies we mentioned in the show notes and you can also sign up to our Substack to get the lowdown straight into your inbox when we drop a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at that romcom pod. And feel free to DM us things that you're interested in hearing about. We do read them and... Karina reads them <laughs> and sends me screenshots. I will, yeah, I will screenshot anything um, that is relevant, anything not relevant in the bin. No, <laughs> uh, hopefully you can see that we do actually take on feedback because we had received lots of feedback about talking about the holiday and I went as far as going there for you. So this is, <laughs> this is how seriously we take our roles <laughs> here at that rom-com pod. We're incredibly professional. It's so Very professional. professional. And throw us a rating and review. I haven't checked lately how we're going there, but could always do with a few extra stars. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.